I'm Carolyn, and I'm a Lars slash Jessica. I'm Rebecca, and I'm a Francis slash Zoe slash Lars. <laughs> I'm Teresa, and I'm a Francis slash Tony, and we are Big Little Podcast, kicking off a new season devoted to Hulu's Nine Perfect Strangers, another David E. Kelly production based on a Leanne Moriarty book. Carolyn, do you want to kick us off with a recap of episode one and two? Sure thing. All right, so... We start out the show with the obligatory credit shots of water abyss to eerily soothing yet totally unsettling music. Very big little lies already. Also, did Nicole Kidman sing this song too? We'll discuss that later. Our opening shot, yeah. Our opening shot takes us to a sexual and yet somehow also gory smoothie making. And that is our introduction and arrival at Tranquilium, along with all of these guests who we meet one by one as they drive in. So we have the annoying and clearly stressed out Groupon buying family, the Marconis. We have the annoying Instagram chick and her husband driving a way too expensive car. We have Francis, a writer whose career and relationship is in the shitter. Tony, a gruff, depressed-looking a-hole dude who (laughs) finds Francis in a totally dramatic moment on the side of the road. We have Carmel, an overly chatty woman who seems to be at the end of her rope, basically. And Lars, a sexy dude who just basically doesn't even seem he wants to be there. All these people arrive, and right off the bat, I'm uncomfortable about these wellness consultants who are taking away their phones... And everyone else is feeling the anxiety of surrendering their cell phone, too. But don't worry, there's more smoothie making. And each person is giving a, given a personally designed smoothie that they are told they shouldn't share because it is personally designed for them. Sketchy. More sketchy things are exposed in that they're not allowed to post about where they are. There's an MRI machine, they have to do blood work, their health records have been submitted, and there are cameras everywhere with Masha watching them. Masha is the warden Russian lady who appears first to Francis in a backlit angelic shot in one of her white dresses with chiming music, and she tells her that the guests all come there to suffer. It sounds great. Masha then gathers all the guests and tells them her backstory. She was a Russian-born workaholic and clearly a party chick, too, who somehow got shot, which explains the scar running down her chest. She tells them all that they are all here to die and come back the way that she did, and that she will fuck with them all. Again, this is sounding great. Episode 2 opens continuing this group session where she's fucking with them all. And we learned that they were all handpicked by Masha for their damage to be there. We also learned that the Marconi's damage and why they are all suffering and weird and stressed out is because their son died. Meanwhile, we learned that Tony is freaking out because he needs his meds. And by meds, he means pills and alcohol. We are offered our first glimpse at a one-on-one therapy session with Masha, who gives him his pills and vodka shots, saying she didn't want to keep them from him in her bad accent. Actually, the accent that I just did that was horrible is better than what Nicole Kidman is doing here. (laughs) Anyway, she uh, gives him the pills, says she didn't want them. She just wanted his secrets. So clearly in this, she's as good as a therapist as she was in The Undoing. (laughs) Uh, The Instagram chick offers us our first real surprise of the show by revealing that she has in fact read a book and is a fan (laughs) of the author Francis. Then we see Masha meditating, doing yoga by a tree, petting a goat, and then going for a run in an exact rip-off scene of Shailene Woodley's character running off the cliff in Big Little Lies. (laughs) Then... I mean, there was no goat in that scene, technically. Well, the running part. But it would have benefited from a goat. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that running scene, pretty spot on. Mm -hmm. Then Masha gets a text that tells her this will be her last week on Earth, or threatens her. So, moving on from that, we get a flashback from Frances that includes a Zoom cameo with her real-life husband, who is apparently playing a man who catfished her. At the mandatory brekkie, as it is called, or breakfast, we have a style and substance Instagram-worthy display of healthy eats where the team learns that they are going to be doing dirt digging as today's therapy. Dirt digging is essentially death therapy. They dig their own graves, bury themselves to think about their own lives and the impact of their deaths really deep. 
Next, some of them go on a hike. Meanwhile, Francis and Tony chill in the pool while Masha watches all of this on her creepy cameras. Francis chokes on a grape that Tony threw in her mouth, and she has a real-life death therapy experience, which causes her and Tony to bond over a discussion about her catfish relationship. And it feels all nice until Tony tells her that uh, she had a very bad review of her book, so she takes off to go deal with that. Meanwhile, on the hike, the rest of the team does a classic outward bond exercise of some silly trust fall thing and Heather Marconi wanders off and acts like she's going to jump off a cliff which leads to Delilah having some weird moment holding her hand. Frances goes to Masha saying she needs to leave. Masha tells her that she's gonna make her a gold bowl or some shit like that and asks for one day more because she can make her better. Francis agrees, though I think Francis should have just gone to the Four Seasons and had those Bellinis. Episode two ends with Masha going to her spa goons and saying it's time to start the new protocol for the volatile group. The two of them say, well, the group isn't fully detoxed yet and they probably shouldn't, but Masha urges them. And uh, that's as far as we've gotten. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Okay, so I think we have to start with the most important thing in the show, which is obviously the smoothies. <laughs> I'm so glad we're uh, on the same page. <laughs> the, the, I mean, you only mentioned one scene, Carolyn, but there are multiple smoothie-making scenes. Well, I, yeah, I didn't want to keep del- dwelling on that. Yeah. I felt like we had a lot to get in here. Uh, I, I do think that, like, that first smoothie shot, that mm-hmm. I, like I said, it's, like, sexual yet gory. I was like, oh, this smoothie thing. Also, I wonder if they're going to sell a line of, of <laughs> nine, nine perfect, perfect strangers, strangers custom smoothies. wellness smoothies. Yeah. Has mm-hmm. to happen. Yeah, for sure. Daily Harvest, get on it and start. Yeah, um, yeah where is our sponsorship? Yeah. We are already, we're coming up with freebie <laughs> ideas. Like, give us our ad dollars. Let's go. So what do we think could possibly be in these smoothies that you could, you cannot share them with anyone else? Like... I, I, is it going to cause someone to like go into menopause or something if they if they eat one of these smoothies? Well, it's obviously like some drugs and some sort of concoction that mm. I think is either mellowing them out or riling them up or uh, an individual whatever mm. they're she's trying to do individually here. Mm. It's definitely suspicious, and uh, they should not be drinking those smoothies. So you're saying it's not just chia seeds. No way. No fucking way. Uh-uh. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I mean, if you have no interest in watching the show, and if that's the case, I have no idea why you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> but if if that is the case, you should tune in just for the smoothie making scenes because they are, I like, I... It's like slow TV. I would watch... If there was a channel of just these smoothies, I would watch it for hours, I think. It is, it is a little bit like Animal Planet of food smoothies. Mm-hmm. I, I will say that. Um, I just Googled Nine Perfect Strangers Smoothies. Mm-hmm. And um, there is on schmoop.com. Um, they have like a whole little article about it. I was hoping they'd have recipes. I'm going to keep digging. And we will share on our social, social media if I find nine perfect stranger smoothie recipes can we get a boozy smoothie recipe going here like i'm gonna i'm gonna make something for yeah. us you and alex definitely need to make some sort of instagram video yeah we will um, make sure that you Jessica are not going smoothie list for your nine perfect strangers viewing get super mm-hmm. meta with it i love it mm-hmm. all right so now i mean we've we've really exhausted this smoothie talk so <laughs> 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 um so this show has a lot of big stars, great character actors, people I recognize who are up and coming, and some people I've never seen before and have no idea where they're coming from. But um, overall, how do you feel about this cast? Uh, Rebecca, what do you think? I think in general, the characters are really well written, and, and because the cast is so stacked, they seem to be having a lot of fun with the characters. So, mm-hmm. so far, I'm really loving it. I think the low point is whatever the hell Nicole Kidman is doing. Choices have been made. <laughs> they are strong choices. I read somewhere online being like, is it even a miniseries if I'm not just questioning Nicole Kidman's choices every yeah. week? And it's like, <laughs> yes. I think that is the new gold standard for a Deli- David E. Kelly miniseries. It's just, okay, Nicole Kidman, choices, choices. Like the blonde Galadriel wig, the accent that starts <laughs> off like a bad Russian accent and goes like full Kangaroo Jack by the end. It's... 
it's a lot. So besides Nicole Kidman, I'm loving the cast, but Nicole Kidman is definitely doing something. I want to ask, Carolyn, I want to ask you specifically about Nicole Kidman, because I feel like I've, we've talked about so many Nicole Kidman shows at this point. I feel like I've talked about how I feel about her face, which is that when she is blonde, she terrifies me and she looks like a plastic person. But when she's a redhead, I think she's, you're, you're like, how does this woman still look this good at her age? She's gorgeous. And so in this show, I'm like, and I also usually feel like at, when I see her at award shows or something like that, I think she looks horrifying. And <laughs> when I see her in a TV show, I'm like, oh, she looks great. But this time she's managed to like, I don't know if it's the blonde Galadriel wig or if it's, um, or if they've done something on purpose to make her look kind of crazy in this, but she doesn't look quite right to me. What do you think? No, she looks awful. She sounds awful. But I'm hoping that maybe this is like what they're... I, I'm hoping this is like a character study. Mm-hmm. Although she definitely should have studied that accent more. Um, <laughs> but I feel I feel for her. So one time I was at an audition and a director asked me to pull out a surprise accent. Oh, he God. asked me to like do an accent for this scene read. And I was not prepared. And I did it. And when I was done with the scene, the director was like, huh, that was weird. It was like Marlena Dietrich and Barbara Streisand trying to fight with themselves. And I was like, yikes. So I just left the audition and cried. You didn't get that one? I didn't get it. But somehow Nicole Kidman walked into this audition and, Mm -hmm. you know, did that accent. And they were like, great. This is exactly what we're looking for. Yeah, I don't think there was an audition. I think this is her Yeah, I get it. I get it. This is like her Mm -hmm. thing. But Mm -hmm. you'd think that somebody... You know, I know she's like Nicole Kidman and all, but you'd think somebody would have been like, hey, well, let's talk about this. You bring up a good point because this book is, the book is set in Australia. Yes. And why couldn't we just set it in Australia and let her do her regular accent? Well, so the Masha character is still Russian. She's just Russian by way of Australia. Australia. Okay. But that would make more sense to have a weird accent that then's going in and out between Australian and Russian if it was set in New Zealand, no? Yeah. Yeah, yeah anything I mean, would have made more sense. Like, literally, get t- like be like, what accent can you do? Great. Okay, yeah. let's have the character from there. Unless the <laughs> Russian thing, like, plays out later, like they had a flashback of her doing ballet, like, unless this mm-hmm. is all part of... So I haven't read the book yet. I, I haven't either. I, I figured it would be better for all of us if I, you know, read it when we do like a book club episode and I just watched the show blind because um, I feel like that's my character in this. Um, <laughs> but, but I think like unless there's some real big important reason that she needs to be from Russia, to be honest, like th- somebody in production should have been like, really, honestly, you're, you're just killing me. Russian people are going to be, like, writing into us, like, we can't do this. But they already changed the location of the show, so it's not like they're adverse to making changes for reasons beyond my knowledge. So I don't understand that choice. I also read that Nicole Kidman is apparently a method actress and stayed in character for five months while filming this role and made everyone refer to her as Masha. I read that, And introduced herself to everyone by, like, touching their heart and hugging them. Apparently she, like, brought the accent home and what's her name? Keith Urban was like super into it and they have like weird sex. Like I'm not into any of this. <laughs> Wait, so like during COVID she was going around touching yes. people's hearts? Well, awesome. the COVID of it all, <laughs> who knows? But yeah, I mean, this woman like went full Masha and I'm like, if that's the case, you didn't go hard enough, girl, because it still seems yeah. like you're Nicole Kidman, like just doing a weird Russian accent when you're like slightly tipsy at a party. Like it's just odd. Actually, her accent might have improved had she been tipsy. Maybe. I don't know. Like, there is something that has to have helped this. But as far as casting goes, all right, so we all agree, like, Nicole Kidman kind of gave herself a role here and was like, no, I'd be perfect at this. <laughs> that's, like, that's a better Russian accent than yeah, Nicole Kidman yeah, has done this entire and, time. Yeah, uh, and I'm telling you. And um, everyone else, like, I mean, Melissa McCarthy, I think we can all agree, Ugh. is a queen and will watch her do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and far... A- I'm kind of loving everyone else. I mean, M- Melissa McCarthy and Bobby Cannavale Ugh. have this weird thing going on. Not, I, Did anyone else watch Super Intelligence? Am I the only person who watched this? No. Yeah, I didn't watch that. It, Shockingly. It's a movie in which, like, an AI kind of tries to take over the world or something, and it enlists 
Melissa McCarthy's character because she's like the most normal woman they can find. And her sort of love interest in that is Bobby Cannavale. And then I feel like there's one other movie he's been in with her. And now there's this. And also Ben Falcone, her husband, as you alluded to, um, Mm -hmm. Carolyn, he's the catfisher in this, but he also always shows up in some little role. And so I was actually kind of confused at the beginning where I was like, wait, did Nicole Kidman voice this upon everybody? Or is this another one of these like Melissa McCarthy, Ben Falcone, Bobby Cannavale joints? Like I don't, it's, it's interesting. It's like they came together to make one giant conglomerate production yeah i didn't know that they had a history like that but i think their chemistry is off the charts yeah like oh my god i haven't shipped something this hard in a long time but i'm like please just kiss kiss like the whole time (laughs) yeah i think the cast in general is great i'm simply obsessed with manny jacinto for who got famous from the good good place i always want to call it the good fight um the good place he's one of the He's one of the wellness consultants. Okay. The one that is she's he got. Yao? Yes. I don't know anyone's mm-hmm. name yet, but yes, he's Yao. Okay. And he is sexy, but he was so great on The Good Place, and he's also great here. I just think he is a star in the making, and we're going to see him everywhere. Um, I love Tiffany Boone, who's the other wellness consultant. She's fantastic, and mm-hmm. turns out played young Mia. Which, mm-hmm. it was funny, at first I was like, oh, she's kind of giving me a Mia Warren vibe. And then I was like, oh, it's literally the actress that played young Mia on Little Fires Everywhere. This is why I feel this <laughs> yeah. way. Like, I could see Mia absolutely ending up working for a place like this. <laughs> like, it seems maybe if Mia had worked for a place like this, she would have less <laughs> issues. Mm-hmm. Or more. Or more, I, more. We'll or see more. where this goes. I, I'm thinking this is going to be an or more, but... <laughs> I think Michael Shannon is also an interesting choice because you so often see him as a sort of robotic bad guy in something. And to see him trying to play like a by the rules family man with a relentlessly upbeat personality is really interesting. No, he's still coming across as he's like aggressively nice and friendly, which Mm -hmm. makes me uncomfortable with him because (laughs) I feel like you know he's that kind of person that scene where he like jumps into the hot tub you know with jessica and her husband and he's Mm -hmm. just super chatty and like that he's the kind of person like i'm like i need to go yeah so i'm still getting those like bad guy vibes from him yeah but i don't know if it's like because his character he's like building this like layered character who has all this like hurt and pain from his son dying and is just trying to keep it together mm-hmm. or if it's just that he is actually an actor who's kind of incapable of playing normal yeah that's interesting um i won't i won't weigh in on that because i have read the book so yeah um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, though. I, no one's that yeah. happy. No one's that upbeat. It, it stresses me out, to be honest. Like, I understand why his wife is straight up over him. Like, I'd be over it, too, yeah. if I was married to someone like that. And so, I mean, we're kind of skipping ahead a little bit to episode two for this, but we find out that his son died. However, the way the daughter puts it is that he stopped living. Mm-hmm. Did, did you make anything of that? I made something of it in that anytime someone uses a euphemism like that, it, it's, mm-hmm. I think, supposed to give you pause and go, hold up. And I wonder if they're trying to invite a sense of mystery that's not actually there, which I think David Kelly loves to do. Like, he loves, <laughs> the man lives for a red herring. So my first thought was like, David, Ke- David Kelly, are you trying to get me again? Like, not today. But then the more Michael Shannon kind of like goes there with this sort of like manic dad joke energy, the more I'm like, is there more to this mm-hmm. than meets the eye? Probably. Yeah, I picked up on that as well. And I mean, I think it is the kind of thing where when somebody says he stopped living or something, it does kind of imply that he took his own life. Mm -hmm. Uh, I kind of saw that as just like a little, you know, a little crumb that got dropped and we'll get more information on that. Or maybe never get information on that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm prepared for that, too. So speaking of information, this first episode was pretty much just a whole lot of setup, getting everybody to the place and kind of giving us a feel for what the place is. It was short, too. It was 40 minutes. Like, we would have had a hard time Mm. doing a full episode of this podcast just on that first episode. Yeah. Thanks for dropping three episodes all at once, Hulu. Yeah. (laughs) You stressed us out at first, and then we're like, we got you. We understand what's happening here. 
But they did that with Little Fires Everywhere, too. And I think at the time, we sort of discussed the idea that it might be because if you just got that first episode, right. you probably wouldn't keep watching. Yeah. And um, even though I kind of... I kind of like this show more than a lot of things we've watched lately for this podcast. Podcast, I think that might be the case with that first episode because you're yeah. just like, what even is this? Well, this is what I'm saying. I told you guys, I have mm-hmm. that theory that you should always start a show mm-hmm. on at least the second episode. <laughs> and I, I'm i not wrong. You're not. You're not wrong. <laughs> you are not. Yeah. Um, but so, how are you feeling about the show in general based off the first episode? Did you, would you have kept watching, do you think? Yeah, actually. Mm. Unlike some other stuff, like you said, some other stuff that we've watched for this and some stuff that I've had to watch for, uh, like, the Noah's radio show. Like, this, mm-hmm. this actually, I would have, I would have uh, gotten through the first episodes are always rough, but I would have definitely been like, all right, I'm, I'm in it for, I'm in it for more. Yeah. Yeah, the cast is so stacked and the character development, even in the first episode, which was, I think, a lot of exposition, it's still the characters were compelling enough that I would have watched mm-hmm. another episode. Yeah, I think the cast alone would keep you yeah. watching this. Um, just, I mean, Bobby Cannavale, like, losing it on people all the time is pretty hilarious. And I'll, Melissa McCarthy is one of my favorite. I love watching Melissa Mar- McCarthy movies on planes because i think i'm like a little giddy and uh they're especially funny to me (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) that's like a very niche thing but it's so true like i feel like Mm -hmm. the only time i ever watched melissa mccarthy movies are on flights wow dm us if you too are a melissa mccarthy in transit fan oh i'm sure i've terrified multiple passengers laughing (laughs) So I'm also wondering, though, based on this first episode, like, I've read the book, so I get some idea of where it's going, what the genre is, and, but I don't know that if I hadn't read it, that I would understand what the show is even supposed to be. Do you feel like you get some idea, Carolyn, of what the actual genre is here? I mean... Is is Big Little Lies a genre now? No. <laughs> <laughs> We're making it. We're trying real hard to make it a genre. <laughs> yeah. Because that's the distinct vibe that it has. Mm-hmm. It's like the same with like White Lotus and, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Perfect Every Trash. Show we've talked about. Are mm-hmm. we going to rename this podcast one day? Maybe. Perf- perfect <laughs> Trash. Like it is. It has, there's the potential for romance. Maybe there's the potential for you know, murder and mayhem. There's a light bit of comedy. There's, uh, you know, some drama, some tug at your heartstring. It has like a little bit of everything, but at the end of the day, it's like, you know, premium level actors and premium scenery. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think it's just, this is this is a genre. Like, I think it is to people now what like Dynasty and <laughs> Dallas were to women in the 80s. Interesting. Right? <laughs> like what genre was that it was like the dynasty genre so now i think we're in the big little lies genre i agree i mean it's like pay-per-view porn dramedy it's like the highest echelon mm-hmm. of, of dramedy yeah yeah but it's also confusing because they have all those other elements in it beyond just like drama and comedy you have mm-hmm. the inclination that there's going to be some sort of budding romance you've got the is this woman absolutely deranged? Like, I don't think it's out of the question that Masha could just, like, axe murder all these people. Like, they've already <laughs> dug nine graves. Like, it seems a logical <laughs> conclusion. Chekhov's grave? Like, it could happen. I don't know. We shall see. So you kind of mentioned the scenery in this. So let's let's just jump into some David Kellyisms that are popping up already in, in this first episode. And we have to start with the scenery. So this place is... I guess it's supposed to be a place called Cabrillo, California. Mm-hmm. Although, from the credits, I think it was actually shot in Byron Bay, Australia. Oh, come on. Oh. Which really makes no sense as to why they relocated it. Um, wow. <laughs> except to be able to have American actors, I guess. Just like, say that these people all like got flown over there. You could have done yeah. that. We would have believed that as an audience, more so than Nicole Kidman's accent. Yeah, I I think believability was thrown out the window when they let her do that. But <laughs> so, yeah, the scenery is definitely 
you know, more of that California coastline porn Mm -hmm. that we got in Big Little Lies. And, you know, you have that resort vibe, although this is like a health spa, but like you get that same kind of like resort vibe as you got in White Lotus with this like really is posh pool someone called it goop white lotus and i was like that is oh my god (laughs) tranquilla miss it's goop white lotus uh yeah that's that's exactly that's exactly what it is if you're gonna set this spa in california and not have renata klein be a member of this group why even bother why not yeah why wasn't renata klein at the white lotus and then, because she would have been all traumatized from the experience at White Lotus, yes. she would have had to check in to Tranquilium and uh, get her act together. Every she day, this a, podcast goes closer and closer to becoming fan fiction, and I am here I for it. I know. I just could have seen her screaming off that, into that void with Francis. Yes. Oh, th- that, I mean, that is the most beautiful void I've ever seen. Those lovely <laughs> rolling hills, like... I, I I don't even know how anyone can be angry walking around there. It was gorgeous. Yeah, I felt her in that moment. I was doing a show once in Arizona, and uh, I just had, like, reached a boiling point with something. And I remember, like, screaming into the void of the beautiful vista of the Red Rocks. And mm-hmm. I in that scene when she's like, gets out of her car to scream, I was like, oh, I've been there, done that. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, you know what? It's like the best temper tantrum you'll ever take to have a good view like that. Because <laughs> as soon as you, like, let it out, you have that beautiful view to be like, it's okay. <laughs> it's a really nice feeling. <laughs> but, yeah, the the rest of the view, like, this whole, this hotel, like, I don't want to, or this health spa, I in no way would want to be anywhere near Masha and her smoothies. Mm-hmm. But I would totally want to stay in this place. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the super modern kind, like, it looks very much like Australia to me, um, mm. like that super modern vibe. But, like, in the book, it's a, it's described as a um, Victorian, actually, so they've, they've changed it quite a bit. But Francis's room alone is, like, a palace, and then there's, like, five more rooms to go around. It's yeah, gorgeous. the hotel rooms, the aesthetic, the wellness cares accommodations, like... Uh, mm-hmm. Tiffany Boone's character when she's sitting in bed smoking her contraband cigarette. I'm like, I'm sorry, like, I will go here. I'll give you all my money. Like, I just want to sleep in that bed. It looks amazing. Yeah, their whole indoor-outdoor dining situation looks amazing. This place is gorgeous. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I don't think we're going to get, like, the real estate porn that we got from from Monterey and Big Little Lies because they're all going to be in the same place all the time. I'm down with just, like, different room porn, though. Like, just give me, like, the different (laughs) hotel rooms of this palatial accommodation. What if they're pineapple suite? Yeah, show us the pineapple suite. Oh, that's definitely Francis's room. You think Francis is in the pineapple suite? I think Francis is in the pineapple suite. Yeah, okay. And I think the Marconis are in the palm suite. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, they're in the... They're they're where, uh, what, Tanya McQuaid was staying. McQuad, (laughs) whatever her name was. Um... But so on the on the topic of other David Kellyisms, what do you what are you guys thinking of the music in this show so far? I really like the how like jarring some of the musical transitions can be. I like the way that he's very good about kind of making music a character, just like we saw in The White Lotus, is something that David E. Kelly does very well. And I think that was one of the big letdowns with the undoing, is that the music in the beginning had such promise and then that went absolutely nowhere. So I'm hoping that's not the case with this and the music continues to kind of give us clues as to what's going on and provide more context. So yeah, I'm a fan so far. Yeah, the music sometimes is like, sometimes I kept thinking my cell phone was making a <laughs> notification like while I was watching it. It is jarring it, the way he transitions yeah, music in. it is, it is. But, you know, it, overall... I, I I need I think I need to be won over a little bit more with the music for this. Hmm. Yeah. What about you, Tate? What do you think? You know, I almost don't even the oh, I it, I only remember. Well, I remember thinking in the running scene that is um, ripped off from Big Little Lies that the music was better in Big Little Lies. Like whatever she's listening to in that scene is nothing compared to Martha Wainwright screaming about bloody motherfucking assholes. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, which of course, like, that's not the right song for this, but I can't even, I couldn't tell you what the song was now. You know, it's a lot less memorable for me. And the only song I can really think about or really call to mind 
is from episode two, which is, is it, um, you are my sunshine that's playing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Creepy. Always creepy. It's a creepy song. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's skip to episode two because pretty much nothing happens in episode one. In this one, we start to, uh, in this episode, we sort of start to understand kind of what's wrong with everybody. So we've got Francis, who was the victim of an internet scam. How, like, did that, how'd that sit with you guys? Did that seem like a surprise? I think it's kind of an interesting crisis to be having. It's very unusual as opposed to like a dead son. Yeah, like that just kind of feels like the kind of thing you see in a, in movies about broken people all the time. But like to be the victim of an internet scam seems kind of new and new and interesting. What did you think about that? I honestly didn't understand it at first. Mm. Like it wasn't super clear to me and I'm still not clear like what sort of internet scam. Like is she was she catfished? Was it someone that took her money? Like I think it was catfish and usually catfishing involves money yeah. too. Well I watch a lot of catfish <laughs> on MTV or I used to. Nev would be proud of you. I mean I yeah. think that like it's so interesting to have your expectations set up for what you think Francis is. Like Francis is just mm-hmm. a writer that's dealing with publication woes. And you're like, all right, like we've seen this before. And then to have it be like she's got these layers of issues mm-hmm. and it's not just any one thing. And she's so good at trying to control her environment. Like this woman is just constantly trying to author her way through life. And then to learn mm-hmm. that she's been the victim of a circumstance where she was basically taken for a ride and somebody else authored an experience and she was put in that character role without her knowledge and how like violating that was. I just think it's a really interesting way to kind of tell us something new about the author archetype, which we've seen countless times before. So I, I really like that there's more to her than just can't her, her latest book sucks and the publisher's going to drop her. Like it was definitely mm-hmm. interesting that she's got multiple things to deal with. Hmm. I, I mean, for me, it, it worked for sure. And I kind of put her into the same category. I mean, oftentimes like the a writer is portrayed as sort of a, a lonelier person and uh, so it kind of made sense that she'd be a person who would somehow uh, turn towards the internet for connections mm-hmm. and everything. And that's why I think it's <clears throat> funny in that scene. I'm choking on a grape, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's why I thought it was funny in that scene with Tony when, you know, she's explaining what happened. And she's like, I meet tons of men. Like, I could have sex with, like, every, you know. Mm-hmm. She, it, it's like, thou dost protest too much. I kind of got that vibe, like, that she is a little bit more reserved uh, socially, maybe. Well, she's also a romance writer, right? So to get to, so you kind of, and she, we also learned that she's been married twice before. She's got two ex-husbands, I think. Um, And so to understand that her love life is a mess, but here she is writing these love stories that, you know, Jessica is obsessed with basically is kind of an interesting juxtaposition, right? Like she can write about it, but she can't live it. Yeah, I think that that's like a writer trope that we have seen before. Mm -hmm. Like in Romancing the Stone, the Kathleen Turner character writes romance novels, but like lives in that sad apartment with her cats and like never leaves it until she like accidentally gets caught up in the whole drama of Michael Douglas and Mm. drugs or whatever that movie is about but I it always like stuck with me that she's this like romance writer but lives this really like sad lonely life and I I aren't there isn't that like true aren't there like actual romance writers out there I mean who oh I like I I think that that's kind of based on more truth than not well I remember watching this like PBS documentary or something about this um about romance writers and one was just like some old British man who lives in a trailer by himself somewhere. And like, you know, there's, they're formulaic. You have to, you have to follow a very specific formula. And if you can do that, you can basically get one published. And churn them out. People like romance writers are prolific usually. But I also, so I did this weird internship in college at a very small publishing house. And my boss there was also quite odd. And he used to tell us all the time that his friends, like, they paid for their kids to go to, like, Girl Scout camp or whatever by basically writing porn novels. And then <laughs> I met those people. And it was 
terrifying. So you basically they met were basically ELJs. like pirates. Yes, <laughs> they were basically pirates. I, I mean, they were just like the man looked like Hagrid or something, and his wife looked like she you know, played the witch at Sturbridge Village or something. Like, I don't, but, <laughs> <laughs> like, they were not who you wanted to picture when reading your smut, let's say that much. But okay, let's move on from Francis. We also know that the Marconi son died. We've kind of covered that. Tony is apparently a drug addict. What, what do you, like, and we hear that this is because he's had two spinal surgeries and a busted knee. We also are starting to understand that some of the other guests think they recognize him from somewhere, but can't quite place him. Did you guys pick up on that or make anything Mm -hmm. of that? Yeah, I was assuming that he either is like a super scruffed up like Hollywood actor or that he had been in the news for doing something like, you know, that he had been in the news for doing something Mm -hmm. Not great, maybe. Francis keeps saying Dateline. Dateline. I was just about to say. And Francis is on board with my theory because she calls him out and is like, yeah, we know you from Dateline. Mm -hmm. He's got main character energy, even like seeming like kind of Mm -hmm. a scruffy asshole. Like he just exudes that famous energy. So I'm not surprised the other guests are kind of picking up on that. The way he was completely unfazed by the Lamborghini that you've got Mm -hmm. Napoleon Marconi salivating over and Tony was just like, "Mm mm-hmm. Can you just move your car, please? Like, that was an indicator to me. That this man is more than meets the eye, and his sweatpants yeah, are just a ruse. That's a good point, because we hear very clearly that the Marconis are basically there on scholarship, right? Yeah. Like, they've yeah. they've had, I don't know if they've paid anything or if they've just gotten a steep discount. I'm not really or sure. Or Groupon. Um, <laughs> so, and we know that Francis is obviously pretty wealthy, that Ben and, and Jessica yep. are rolling up in their Lamborghini. Carmel. Seems like a normal person, but um, it does make sense that everybody would have some money to throw around. Right? I'm most intrigued by Carmel. Like, what's, mm-hmm. what's well, going on Well, let's get into Carmel. her. Yeah, let's. She thinks she's fat, even though she weighs, like, 140 pounds. Also, I, yeah. I don't believe for a second she even weighs 140 pounds. Like, I know they had the whole skill scene, but I'm like, no, Regina is tiny. Yeah, not sure about that, but... Uh, well, maybe she's taller than she looks. Maybe. I don't know. But she looks so petite <laughs> in the show. Like, I don't know if it's just they keep putting her yeah. in those dowdy, oversized kind of cardigan stuff, and her hair is kind of dowdy that's making her look smaller. But she looks just teeny tiny. Yeah, the characters even call her out on that. Ben says, like, why are you trying to lose weight? You're small. Like, I yeah. I think that So it's body all dysmorphism. Yeah, she's got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we're getting set up that she is, like, definitely i got the vibe like she's an end of the row person i think something happened with her kids i i don't think the kids are with us that's my my theory i'm Mm. calling it now like i just get the vibe that like she's one of those people that's like creating a reality and or maintaining a reality that doesn't exist i think that she's the scariest stranger (laughs) oh yeah yeah, if if I had to be, uh, if I had to have pool time with one of these strangers, she would not be my no. pick. Mm-mm. Yeah, I don't, I don't need to have any alone time with her. But I'm most curious about time. her backstory. Like everyone yeah. else, I feel like I've got kind of a read on and their degrees of tragedy. But Carmel, I'm like, I, I got to know what's what's gone on here. How have you ended up yeah. in this vulnerable, but also like low grade simmering rage state? Need to know. That's interesting because, um, you know, I've got my list here of running down the characters and what their problems are. And at the end, I've got Jessica and Ben and Lars because we don't really know what their problems are. We've got a little hint of what's going on with Jessica. Yeah. Yep. But we don't really know much of anything about Ben yet. Yep. And then we've got Lars, who is not only a mystery to us, but he seems to be a point of mystery for the staff. Yeah. What do you think is going on with Lars, man? Is he some sort of double agent? Ooh, like a plant? Oh. That could be. I could from be into who? that. From who? From Goop? Yeah, from Goop. Did Gwyneth from, from Gwyneth herself. <laughs> well, he doesn't seem to want to be there. Right. He seems quite cynical. He doesn't want to improve. Like, everyone else, like, varying degrees of wanting to be there, but they all showed up because they want some sort of like improvement and he just seems like he's perfectly content exactly who he is and has no desire to change whatsoever so like why would he even sign up for something like this the other people i get why they would all pursue something like this him i'm just like why are you here 
So maybe a plant's interesting. I have sort of conveniently forgotten what Lars's story in the book is as oh. well. So mm. it's a little bit of, and I'm not sure if they've gone off script or not here. Okay. So that's interesting. Like, I, it's interesting to have like that little bit of stuff. I, I also think Tony's story might be slightly different in the book. And I think I'm just interested to see how those things play out. Yeah, I'm excited to learn more about all of these characters. I think it's a, it's a testament to having a very strong cast that I'm, absolutely invested in the background of all of these characters and you know it's a it's a big cast it's nine strangers so that's a pretty i'm trying to think how many we had madeline celeste jane bonnie renata so yeah i mean it's a bigger group Mm -hmm. well we also had all their husbands and children but the people we were invested in primarily it was a smaller right. group to get invested in whereas I do feel very much like I want to know every single character's background down to Zoe who's kind of you know just the teen or that she's 20 but the the young adult daughter of these two kind of put aside as a side character but I think she's got some secrets too yeah I think she's going to be a fascinating character yeah. for sure yeah we yeah so we learned the the son who died the her brother is also her twin brother yeah. and that they weren't that close yeah, which, which is, is weird for twins yeah very interesting um yeah and the mother is also you know obviously a mother that loses a child is going to be grief stricken but there's I think underlying issues with her that predate that like she seems like a like an interesting enigma well, on that note, do we do we think, Carolyn, that you really wanted to jump off that cliff? Oh, for sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do think that she is, uh, I, I, I don't think she's in a good headspace. Her husband seems annoying. And yeah, I, I think that she is, I, I, I don't know if she was going to jump at that moment, but I think she definitely is, has been... Uh, thinking about not wanting to live anymore. She seems to be having like some sort of painful attacks too, like panic attacks or something. We see her having that moment uh, in their room and she just starts like shaking and it's just debilitating. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I I think she's in a really, she is truly in pain. I think of like all the characters, like she is the one who has like physicalized the pain the most. And I totally, you know, like, yeah. So I, but I, on the other hand, I lost all faith in these, like, wellness consultants, the way that she was dealt with there, mm. with the hand-holding thing. And uh, I totally agreed when she pulled her hand away and was like, you have not felt what I have felt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, yeah, good for you. Tell off that, like, pretentious little bitch who's trying to, like, goop you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you'd think at least one of these people should have, like, a um, medical a degree. degree. <laughs> yeah, felt uh, non that that didn't really feel like the right therapy for that moment. Although she didn't jump, so I guess it worked. Mm-hmm. So we've also got Jessica, who I'm starting to think is a less charming Alexis Rose from Schitt's Creek. Um, <laughs> but mm. Samara Weaving, I think, is actually doing a really great job of playing her. Because in the first episode, I think you really... Or like, oh, God, who is this person? She seems terrible. Yeah. But by the second episode, she starts really kind of, you start seeing like a sweet, vulnerable side to her. Yeah. And you, kind of, despite the fact that she looks, you know, like she's spray tanned and, and bronzed and. Veneered. Like, those teeth. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those no. are her teeth, though. Are they? They're her teeth and like everything else she's ever been in. Oh, what I... has she been in? She's one of the people who I have like so, no idea who she is. Um, she was in uh that there was this like kind of like horror comedy movie called Ready or Not, and she was in that. She was in a really fun. If you're into campy horror movies, mm-hmm. she was in this campy horror movie called The Babysitter on Netflix, which is. It, it it actually is so much more well done than like you think it's gonna be. Mm-hmm. It's real. She plays like the babysitter who the little boy loves to have come over. They have this great bond, but then one night she comes and he realizes that she and her friends have like a blood drinking cult <laughs> with the devil. Oh god. Um, and it's so it's so cheesy and fun. It's just you know like I said, campy horror. And she's mm-hmm. actually spectacular in that. But yeah, I think that those are just her. She has a very interesting face. Uh, her face she's is like, beautiful. 
Like she is beautiful, but like in an interesting way, like in the kind of way that like like a Siamese cat is stunning or something. Like she's very unusual looking well she's very i just googled her because i don't recognize her and so i don't know what she looks like outside of the show where she looks like she's following like a donald trump beauty regimen and you know she's very um she looks different in every picture like in one she looks very like clean beachy ethereal like i think nicole kidman is supposed to look in this and then in the next one, she looks more like a normal person, just like the girl next door or whatever. And then there's one where she looks like it's the 50s or something. You know, she's she's very uh, chameleon-like. Yeah. She kind of looks like Margot oh, Robbie is. to me. Mm. She does, yeah. Apparently and, she's um, also Australian. Oh, yeah. She is. I think she, to me, she's like a young Tony Collette. Oh, that's that's like yeah. where I see her that's acting career going for her because Tony Collette is one of those actresses that I'm always like ten minutes into a movie and I'm like, oh my god, it's Tony Collette, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and that's what I feel like is going to be a reality for her. And she also, like Tony Collette, kind of like can play all these different kinds of characters because mm-hmm. of that chameleon yeah. essence. Uh, so she, to me, has been one I've been, like, watching. I've been waiting for her to, like, step out from behind these, like, cheesy Netflix horror movies and stuff and really kind of get more attention. So I was excited the second I saw her on the screen for this. I was like, yes! Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yay! This is a good uh, kind of more mainstream moment for her. I love the scene with uh, Jessica and Francis poolside where she confesses uh-huh. to being a fan and mm-hmm. just that vulnerability of being insecure around someone you look up to and then having a real conversation with them where you're suddenly realizing this is a real person that's got real complicated feelings and not just this projection I've created around my hero worship. And I really loved how she played that, that like awkwardness and insecurity and you wouldn't expect that from her because she's so curated and so beautiful but then you kind of learn more about I think it's obviously a commentary on Instagram as a whole like what we value Mm -hmm. superficially has got nothing to do with who we are behind the phone and I think that she's doing a really really lovely job of illustrating that through the way her character interacts with others and I'm, I'm excited to see what her backstory is. There's also something that's sort of sweet about how serious she seems to be taking this. Yeah. Right? Like she... You know, she kind of sneaks up on Francis in that pool scene, like, because she thinks she's meditating and Francis is like, no, I'm not meditating. I'm just staring into the abyss or whatever. She's very thoughtful. Yes. And then, like, when they're in the graves and, you know, her husband is, like, not really is, like, what is going on? She's (laughs) like, can you please just give this a chance? Yeah. You know, like, she's really trying here and you can see how... um, invested she is in all of this as opposed to so many of the other people who are just like uh how do i get out of here early will you give me my stuff back so i can absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah she's very very like earnest and sweet and i i'm i like her i she's not the kind of character that i would look at first glance Mm -hmm. and want have anything to do with but two episodes in i'm like oh yeah i really i like your vibe i would be friends with you in real life and I'm wondering when we're going to get more from Ben because yeah. um, he just, yeah, he just seems horrible <laughs> so far, you know, like, and that is not my recollection of him from the book. Like, you're getting more early on um, about, you know, their dynamic and, you know, we learn in this episode that w- what, you know, Jessica's really afraid of is that her husband doesn't love her anymore. Yeah. And she doesn't know why, but we get a lot more context around that early in the book, and we've gotten none of that so far in, in the show, and so it just makes Ben seem like a jerk. Yeah, agreed. Ben, to me, came mm-hmm. across as, like, an accessory. Mm-hmm. Like, I hardly noticed his presence, other than, I, th- I think that he's cute, but um, I didn't really get one way or the other on him. So mm-hmm. I was just trying to, like, think back and be like, did I miss paying attention to him? What, did I just get, like, distracted in the scene, being excited that Samara Weaving is here? And that, and then just be like, oh, yeah, he's cute. He's an Instagram mm-hmm. husband. He's a put-upon, exasperated Instagram husband. So he's supposed to fade into the background. That is his whole job. So that's why I was, like, sitting here trying to decide. I'm like, is, is he just doing a good job playing that? Did they just not write enough for him? Did I not pay enough attention to him? So I don't know. I, I have not made, I think I agree. We kind of need to see where 
Ben goes from here. He's he like could the, be like uh, the... John Legend to her Kirstie Teigen. Oh. Yeah. But without all mm-hmm. the Grammys. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. He, he has a Lamborghini, though, so. Well, I, w- <laughs> I want to ask you guys about that because we get no real understanding as to where this money is coming from. Like, I'm not sure any, I mean, other than a Kardashian, I don't think many Instagram influencers are making Lamborghini money. So what do you think is going on with these people? Yeah, I don't know. I'm excited to find out. I feel like that's one of the big mysteries is where all of this wealth. I mean, she's dressing to the nines, too. Everything is Fendi branded. So they've got some big, big money. I don't know if it's old money. I don't know if there's more career stuff we haven't learned. It'll be interesting to find out, though. Um, I mean, so the weird thing with, like, Instagram influencers is they do get a lot of shit for free. That is a big power play. Yeah, but they don't get they don't get Lambos. Yeah, <laughs> no, they but, get like face cream, right? <laughs> but if you're lucky, yeah. if you're lucky. But I mean, also like if she's a YouTube, if she's not just an Instagram celebrity, if you have like a YouTube channel, like you could be making some bank off that David and, Dobrik money. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but the other thing here is that no one recognizes either right, of them. Right. Right. Well, they're not, that's not their audience. I mean, maybe. But the but teen girl, the Zoe. The 20-year-old girl. Yeah, the 20-year-old girl should be like, oh, I know who she is. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's right. Where where the fuck is that money coming from? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see if episode three reveals all. Um, so let's talk about Masha for a minute, who is like the least compelling thing in the show. Um, <laughs> do we care who is trying to kill her? No. (laughs) I honestly, like, missed it the first episode because I started tuning out when Masha was on screen. I just simply, like, didn't mind at all about her personal Mm -hmm. life. I'm just like, this woman is just insane, and that's all I need to know. So it really wasn't until episode two where I realized, like, oh, someone is really, like, coming for this woman. And I still didn't care. So Mm -hmm. I feel kind of bad about that, but not that bad. Yeah, I mean, I guess they want you to think that whoever shot her, it wasn't, like, a random shooting. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? Like, that she has been on the run from that, from something in her past, maybe. But I I honestly don't give a fuck. Of all these characters, like, she is the least interesting for me to talk about with you guys. Like, I am like, nah, let's move on. Yeah. Okay, let's do that. So let's talk about the protocol that's being introduced at the end of episode two. I mean, is this just, like new smoothies what do you do you have predictions about what's gonna happen here it's just gotta be drugs right like the smoothies like that was the first scene of the whole show was this smoothie so you gotta assume that they're putting something more than dragon fruit in these smoothies (laughs) and that's the protocol's got to be some sort of like drug regime that they're now accelerating because masha feels that francis is gonna leave and doesn't want that to happen which seems like judging by the two wellness liaison's reaction is not a good idea which is probably why this is going to explode and end up being the messy drama that we know david david e kelly always delivers 100 percent. i think the term detox is ironically yes uh you know the smoothies are obviously yes some way of toxing them (laughs) (laughs) so uh because it you know obviously it takes more than two days to tox somebody with a smoothie so yeah, I guess uh, I am pretty excited to see what hell breaks loose as they unleash this protocol. So we're team dosing. That's that's our guess. <laughs> yeah. is not team, 100%. but that's what I think is happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So we're now to the part of the podcast where I, I, we get into our recurring questions. Um, oh, boy. So uh, first and foremost, I'm going to ask the question that Francis asks, based on these two episodes, do you think Masha is the real deal or is she crazy? Crazy. Crazy. Yeah, 100%. She's whacked. Um, I don't think we're ever going to change our answers to that. (laughs) Um, Do you think you would have had a different answer if I asked after just one episode? No. No. Okay. No, the the cameras, no. the smoothies, the like walking into Francis's room with the backlight and the Gladrial wig. No, full crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The wig she has crazy is really eyes. Bad. The wig is terrible. She ju- <laughs> yeah, I guess the best acting she's doing in this is crazy eyes. Yeah, like she is capturing that really well. 
Um, okay, so I feel like it's always going to be a Melissa McCarthy line and or maybe a Bobby Cannavale line. What? But what was your favorite line from these episodes? Mine was when Francis referred to Masha as an Eastern Bloc unicorn, which was like the funniest thing I've ever heard. It's definitely the best line. <laughs> but did anything else stand out to you guys? I liked when... Tony and Francis have their initial confrontation when she's having her meltdown, and he says, Mm -hmm. I can see now that you're a tragic person. Have a good day. (laughs) I'm going to save that and use that for the next time I encounter a Karen in the wild. I can see you're a tragic person. You have a good day. Uh, Yeah, that was pretty spectacular. I guess I will... A line I intend to enjoy and and use is, I mean to fuck with you all. (laughs) When Nicole Kidman says that with her, like, shitty accent, Mm -hmm. like, that's going to be... Uh, that's going to be a parting line for me. Only for if you do it in Nicole's weird Eastern block slash Aussie accent. I mean to fuck with you all. Yeah, like, it's so bad. It's so bad. What is it? We don't know. Okay, so based on these first two episodes, if you had to be stuck at a wellness retreat with one of these people, who would it be based on these episodes? I'm going with Lars. Lars smuggled in wine, he smuggled in chocolate, and he seems like the one that would be the most fun to gossip with. He also seems to have kept his eye watch somehow. Yeah. And yeah. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For me, it would be a toss up between Lars and Fran. And um, blah, 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 blah. why can't I think of her name? Uh, the Melissa McCarthy. Francis. Um, Francis. Francis. Yeah, yeah, I was right. I panicked. But <laughs> Lars and Francis. So Lars, I feel like it could be fun because he's snarky. He, mm-hmm. he somehow kept his eye watch. He's also not into it. So I feel like he and I could be like standoffish and snarky and just make fun of everything we were made to do mm-hmm. uh and then we would also probably fuck yeah. um, he's, I, I gay. he's gay but i don't care so you would just care. move in with him and live together for like 10 years for, hey i've been known to do it i don't know what you're talking about but no um so uh yeah but also i think like francis kind of for the same reason like she also is sort of down to kind of like take this with a grain of salt mm-hmm. and, but the only thing is is like i feel and I'm probably going to, like, eat my words on this. He probably has so many issues. I feel like she actually has a lot going on that, like, could turn serious. I don't know. But either one of them would probably be a fun time to sit and hang out with. I, I also kind of feel like Zoe is a sleeper character here mm-hmm. because she's kind of got a banter going on with Lars. Yeah. Mm. And, like, there's that part where he's yelling about breeders and how they they don't ever apologize for yeah. overpopulating the earth. And she's like, oh, it's strange that you're still single like, <laughs> like yeah i like and her she too. seems yeah she seems like she could be really funny without kind of getting overbearing with the negativity yeah yeah okay so based on these episodes which one and you have to pick one you can't say none of them which of the therapies would you participate in lars's pills and vodka <laughs> that is not sanctioned <laughs> not sanctioned i mean i'm kind of down with the soil microbiome I mean, there is some real science for that. So I'm kind of down to get covered in dirt and get my microbiome right. Um, I am not (laughs) digging my own grave and laying in it. That doesn't really, um, I feel like that is not where my psyche's journey is right now. (laughs) So I'm going to go with uh, the nature hike and trust falls. Fair. If, if right. I can't have the vodka and pills. I think I'm going to go with the initial sort of yoga room whatever was happening there where um where masha comes in and starts fucking with everybody i'm i'm gonna oh that room is see. terrifying teresa what the hell yeah you, that is a ritual you want to go yeah uh, you want to go in there and be fucked with yes i do i i want to okay. see it um, well we're sending you to tranquillum i can't i can't deal with the trust fall let's be honest like that i have never understood this their particular version of the trust fall really makes no sense because they're not even falling off of anything yeah. it's just like you're leaning down yeah it just someone always makes slightly. me think of mean girls mm-hmm. yeah it just seemed but theirs felt like giggly and yeah. fun it felt like a little cute bonding exercise yeah carmel and napoleon seem to be having a good time yeah I'm excited to see where this goes. I, I'm i with you, Teresa. I feel like this is the most optimistic I've felt mm-hmm. in the last two series we've covered on this show. I certainly was not feeling this excited to learn more with Little Fires Everywhere and The Undoing just, again, messed with me in a way that yes. I'm resentful and bitter over. But 
I'm really looking forward to this, and I hope it doesn't leave me as disappointed as The Undoing did, because it's uh, so yeah. far been really fun. I agree. I, I too, am, am excited for this journey. I just hope that Masha doesn't actually fuck us all. Oh, here's hoping. Yeah, I, <sighs> I feel like our listeners must be so excited that we finally get to cover something we actually want to watch again instead of... Hopefully they're enjoying it, yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> Let us know what your thoughts and feelings are. We'll run some polls after this episode drops so you can uh, participate in those and let us know your thoughts and feelings. Mm-hmm. So... Um, Speaking of things we're actually enjoying, let's talk recommendations. Um, Rebecca, what do you want to recommend this week? So I, this last week, started watching Hunters, which came out, I believe, last year. Um, It's on Amazon Prime. It's something that my partner, Stephen, had watched without me. And I was like, man, screw you. That seemed like something I would be really into. And then I forgot about Mm -hmm. it. And I finally remembered it. And as I was watching Nine Perfect Strangers, I realized that Tiffany Boone, who is one of the wellness providers, um, is also in Hunters, and she's great. I just love her. Uh, It's about a group of Jewish Americans that uh, go after Nazis that have been relocated to the U.S. under Operation Paperclip, which is a very real thing that the United States Mm -hmm. did, and I will be covering it on Manifest Destiny because it is beyond (laughs) fucked up, Um, so stay tuned for that. But it's really just, uh, Al Pacino is the lead character logan lerman's in it who's another one i love carol kane who i would die for Mm -hmm. it's just a really really great cast the writing's fantastic it's very moving soundtrack's banging so if you haven't watched hunters on netflix on netflix on amazon prime i should say get after it carolyn what about you so i'm reading an interesting book right now uh ruth ware who has kind of cornered the market on sort of you know thriller like you know chick thriller books she's kind of gillian Um, flynn yeah yeah very gillian flynn um there's this book the turn of the key and it's sort of a modern retelling of the turn of the screw which is also a haunting of bly manor kind of vibe i love the turn of the screw right yeah so do i and i loved haunting at bly manor so that's what led me to this book and the kind of modern interesting twist with it is that like technology plays a part Hmm. the house this like old uh manor house in england that the young the main character is the nanny at is a fully like digitalized like alexa controlled house oh wow um they don't call it an alexa but (laughs) yes so it's kind of this like black mirror-esque side to technology Hmm. uh and I am like halfway through. It is really, it is, it is really well done. It's cool. you know classic Ruth Ware. So, uh, and if you're a fan of Haunting of Bly Manor, Turn of the Screw, like definitely check Very this out. Very cool. So I was going to recommend a book I'm reading um, called Damnation Springs by Ash Davidson, and I still think you should read that. But because Carolyn mentioned Kathleen Turner earlier, <laughs> I it reminded me uh, that I watched the Kaminsky method on Netflix, which is, I kind of call it like uh, the like male version of Grace and Frankie. Interesting. Yeah. It's, you know, um, Michael um, Douglas, Alan Arkin um, in some later seasons, Paul Reiser shows up and they're all like men of a certain age. And um, Michael Douglas plays a, um, Kaminsky, who is a acting teacher. And at some point, Kathleen Turner shows up to play his ex-wife. And I'd, it was just so delightful to see them together again and sort of bantering together and playing off each other. And I, I really... It doesn't seem like something you would necessarily be interested in based on the shows we talk about on this show. But... It's actually really funny and charming, and it's kind of a laugh a minute, and I, I like it quite a bit. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks, guys. Those are two good recommendations that I will personally be uh, looking into. Forget the rest of you. <laughs> I'm excited. <Yeah. laughs> All right. So next week, we will be back talking about episode three and four of whatever the show is called. Nine Perfect Strangers. As long as Hulu behaves <laughs> itself and doesn't release more episodes, then we'll go back to one. Oh, yeah. Who knows what they're going to do to us next week. Ooh, 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 ooh.
Thank you for listening to Big Little Podcast. If you enjoy our show, please consider becoming one of our valued podcast supporters at www.thebiglittlepodcast.com or just leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast platform. Can't get enough of us? Follow us on social media at Big Little Podcast for exclusive content in between new episodes.